Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode eight of the Lifestyle Chase. Here today, I have Mr. Shane Fennessy. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Chris. I'm happy to be on your show, finally. It only took uh, seven people before me for you to ask, so, <laughs> so here we are. I wanted to like stay it out like <laughs> I got to guess on yours and that kind of gave me some exposure and I was like okay I'm gonna space it out I will ask him but I want to have some different guests so that they know it's not just like Shane and Chris going back and forth <laughs> interviewing each other yeah that's a good strategy I have to say thank you for having me on because it's giving me an opportunity to reverse roles and see what it's like as a guest on someone's which should hopefully help me improve my experience for my guests on my podcast I think so too. How's your morning going so far? Uh, it's pretty good. I uh, got to the gym this morning, got caught up on a bunch of work that I've been putting off for the last week and um, you know, had a good meal and just getting my head right and in the game here. What kind of food does a guy like you eat in the morning? <laughs> um, my diet and my, my schedule of eating is so all over the place. Today I had steak and eggs. I usually try and get in a, a pretty hearty breakfast but I also do intermittent fasting. So my first meal usually won't be until 11 or noon. Um, and it just depends what the rest of my day looks like. That's fair. Did yeah. you find that your lifestyle pushed you into intermittent fasting or you made a strategy to do it purposefully? No, I, I decided to do it. Well, first of all, I like just testing different things. So different diets or different workout routines. I always kind of like tweaking. I tried to do keto last year. Um, so in, in preparation of going full keto, I like reduced my carb intake slowly over the course of a week. <laughs> and when I was eating like no carbs, I was like grumpy and frustrated. And I thought like, I feel great anyway, eating a normal diet. So what, what's the point in me trying to screw with this and go keto? Like if I ever have a problem or if I ever need to change things up, then maybe I'll try it. But um, no, the reason I decided to try intermittent fasting is because I was doing the cover of YG Fitness. So I... I needed a, a diet that was going to help me or a way of eating that was going to help me kind of cut off those last few pounds of fat, really trim down as much as I could. So I thought, hey, people seem to be getting good results with this. And it seems to not only for weight management, but for longevity, immu uh, immunity boosting and, and all sorts of other health benefits. So I started doing that about four months ago and uh, haven't looked back. And now it's just part of the life, right? You enjoy it. Completely. Mm -hmm. How much of a lead before uh, the, the cover shoot did you have to prepare your body for, for the cover? I think I started like seriously prepping like a month and a half before. Okay. Like focusing really on the diet, like definitely like focused on the structure of eating more so than like, like reducing calories because I have a problem reducing calories. I, I enjoy eating a calorie surplus. Um, and then working out. I just... I guess I would have just done my normal routine, but just pushed it a little harder, like a couple extra sets or a couple extra reps, a little bit more weight, just to see what I could really do. Cause I knew that this was, you know, my only opportunity to do something like this before I turned 30. So I may as well put all my energy into it and, and see how far I can get in that time. Makes sense to me. <laughs> so something really exciting happened for you on Wednesday. Tell our audience what that day felt like, what it was all about, what happened, how it unfolded, and how you felt when you went to bed that night. Well, I don't really fuck with medicinal or marijuana of any kind, so Wednesday was just a normal day for me. <laughs> you're, you're movie premiere, man. <laughs> mm. That's right, the movie premiere. Uh, it was a spectacular day, honestly. It, it couldn't have gone any better. Um, I think everyone, all 2,600 plus people that were there really enjoyed themselves. Um, it for me was the most special out of our three premieres because we had previously premiered in Toronto during TIFF and then as the closing gala film at the Calgary International Film Festival. And each one was a little bit different. Like Toronto was special because it was the first one and it was, it was in a big city. There was tons of press around it. Um, and we also kind of were wrapped up in the whole film festival thing. Uh, Calgary was really special first and foremost because I flew my mom out from Vancouver so she was my date on the red carpet for that but also they organized that um, 
the film festival took care of everything. So they took care of the logistics and the media and we just had to dress up, show up and, and speak up. And that's basically it. Uh, but Edmonton was really the homecoming. So bringing it, bringing it back here to where the film truly belongs, uh, where Grant is from. And it was, you know, honestly, all expectations from mine were blown out of the water. Like the Oilers were our partner in it, having it at Rogers place. And, and they, they really like they stepped it up <laughs> like for sure like i adam and i joke so my my producing partner producer of the film he he and i went into the first meeting with them thinking that all right we're gonna you know we're gonna try and we're gonna be firm in our negotiations we're gonna we're gonna not let them take advantage of us we're gonna like get what we want out of this and and they had this whole powerpoint presentation and all the details already thought out and by the end of it we're just like uh can we come can we come to this thing too like like we went in and and it was just a complete 180 from what we were expecting and it was just the best that it could have been how did you feel when you went to bed well we celebrated that night so it wasn't feeling very much when i went to bed. <laughs> just numb yeah but <laughs> that's fair the cool i one of the cooler a few cool moments for me from that night um one was uh right before so Right when the film was ending, right before we went on stage with uh, with myself, Adam Scorgi, Don Metz, Grant Fuhrer, and then our hot stove panel of Craig Simpson, Craig McTavish, and Kevin Lowe, my dad, we were all sitting uh, in the green room underneath uh, the bleachers, and we all cracked a beer and kind of like just hung out, and we were just like, just talking about the film and talking about Fury and and that was a really cool moment because when you separate yourself from the crowd, that's when you really get to like silk it all in. Um, so that was a night mo nice moment. And then also going to the after party uh, at Buco Epcor, fantastic spot, everyone should check out. Um, seeing everyone, seeing the friends, family, people I expected to come and then people I didn't expect to come. And it was really overwhelming to, to have the support of all those people. And it's challenging because I was doing the, uh, hey, how are you dance as I was sort of <laughs> getting pulled in 19,000 different directions. And felt bad because I couldn't give anyone the time that they deserved, but that was a cool moment just to, to have everyone. And funny too, because some people would come up to me and say, hey, like, it's so cool to see what you've been working on for the past year that I've known you. And hey, you actually made a real movie. And I was like, yeah, well, when I told you I was making a movie, like, what, what did you think was going to be different? And they're like, well, I just, no, that was like a real full movie. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, that was interesting, but it's cool now that people understand and, and I think most of all, it was a great night for Grant because he, uh, you know, he really got, he got a standing ovation several times. He got, you know, the respect that he deserves. And, and I think, um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for it to go any, any better. That had to feel good for him. Cause like he spends a lot of time in Edmonton, doesn't he? Like he's, he's not someone who ventures off and spends like several months out of the city is he well he doesn't live in edmonton anymore he lives down in palm springs oh, okay so he's only back we, he came back more in the last year than he usually does because we were filming here um and he'll come back for various alumni things and and uh, but he always loves coming back and it's, it's cool to watch him you know get the get the attention from the fans because wherever he goes in any hockey bearing mar uh, market people go hey that's grant fury that's grant fury and People walk up to him and he's so approachable too so that was a fun experience to watch that happen that's good mm. that's good it's got to feel good to have like a movie made about yourself and like because he he had to overcome some obstacles in his career and there was it wasn't just a happy happy time kind of thing hey yeah exactly i mean like it, if it were just a happy go lucky career with no obstacles it would have been a boring ass movie but um I think here's so I thought about it and I think this is how the flow of that would have gone I think okay you approach someone ask them to do a movie about them and they're like what me why I think that would be the first reaction then the second reaction would be like oh you want to partner with me and you want to pay me and I'll get 50% of the back end yeah let's do it like I barely have to do anything just a couple interviews talk about my life so you'd be excited and then as you start seeing the script and, and realizing what you're going to have to go through and relive those moments, then I think you become probably a little self-conscious of it. Then as you go through that process, I think, and I saw this with Grant, I think there's some, some serious catharsis that happens as you reconcile the events of your life and maybe things that you dealt with, but, but 
probably things that you didn't really deal with deal with at the time either. Like we can, we're so good at compartmentalizing things that happen. Um, and so I think uh, for him going through this, there was definitely some unresolved things that he was able to tackle. And after the most in-depth interview where we talked about his parents dying and we talked about the drug suspension and we talked about the panic attack, that, that was like everyone was emotional and breaking down. That evening when we went to film at the final game at the Coliseum, or Rexall Place, uh, literally the last hockey game that would ever happen there, and that was the first place that he played when he was young with the Oilers. He, I've never seen him look so light and energetic and happy, and it was just cool to see that like going through the shit, like looking in the darkest places of your life can actually lead to the best results and the most positive um, you know, positivity in your life. I like that. That's something good to take away because everybody has like some baggage and yeah, compartmentalized. Like you just kind of put it in a little mental box and you put it away. Yeah. Sometimes you have to revisit it. Sometimes it helps. Well, and the saying goes like the things we most need to find are always in the places we least want to look. Right. Yeah. So that's whether that's healing, whether that's uh, progress, whether that's, you know, something for your career that you've been putting off. It's all, it always seems like it's where you last want to pay attention to. Just like training, like the things that most need training are the things we most hate to do. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody likes to do bench press, all the bro stuff, but <laughs> when it comes to their core strength or something, they're like, nah, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> um, so we're going to segue. I need you to think back. You're at your first school dance, or at least the first like much music video dance. <laughs> I don't think I ever got one of those, but I remember the dances. Did you at least have like a video screen, something to hype it up? Not that I can recall. What the hell, man? I'm trying. I'm trying to remember what what grade do you even have first dances in? Is it like seven? I eight? think grade seven was when like people would ramp up the real like play some legit music, not just the chicken dance. And yeah. A little circle of love. Some R and B, some yeah. sexy music. Yeah, that, that's when they played the sexy music. Is like grade seven, grade nine. After that, everybody's too cool for it. <laughs> so you're there. Think of like the closest equivalent you have to it. Yeah. You see six cute girls who need a dance partner. They're just standing there. You're maybe 12, 14 years old kind of thing. What do you do? Dude, me back then, like almost nothing other than panic and sweat profusely. Like that's what I would do. In all honesty, I was, I was so, sh not shy, but I was just so um, unconfident. I had no... Um, not no drive or motivation to do it. I just like didn't have the confidence to go up. I can probably in like maybe five to six high school dances over the course of my years, probably only dance with like four to five to six girls. Like if I asked a girl to dance in a night, that was, a, and she said yes, that was a successful dance. Might've been there for three hours and one dance I would have been super pumped. And like the thought of trying to make out with her, no go, not a chance. Like way too scared to do that. So yeah, 13, 14 year old Shane um, had a lot of growing to do. Yeah. A lot of improvement to make. And it's funny cause like you're, you're the son of an Oilers legend. Like there's so much, you got a lot of street cred, but you're just like everybody else. Mm. Like you're a very humble individual and it like your upbringing would be very humble. Uh, what would you say about your childhood that made you who you are today? Well, I mean, my dad being who he is really didn't have much of an impact on how I grew up because I didn't grow up with him. Yeah. I grew up with my mom out in Vancouver. So she was first and foremost, the, the, the biggest reason that I am who I am. Um, but it's funny, like, I think now that I'm 30, you spend a lot more time, like kind of looking back at how you grew up and, and analyzing, you know, why it is the way that you are, the way that you are. Um, and that's really tough to do, like to take that introspective look and say like, okay, cause you decide, you discover, okay, I maybe for, for me as an example, like my mom put me first over and above everything, like her needs included. So I was, and as an only child with her, like, I think I maybe have a little bit of a sense of entitlement because of that. And that's something now that I've, I've noticed, but so noticing at this age, I discover like, oh shit, like that's why I'm like that. But Simon, so it's like, oh, okay, there's a reason for that. That wasn't my fault. But as soon as you realize it, simultaneously it wasn't your fault and now going forward it is always going to be your fault because you know and you're aware of it and it's your responsibility to change it and improve yourself so i mean you know 
there's so that's a big question to unpack there's so many reasons and things that happen and why we are the way we are like a mix of biological and environmental um environmentally you know raised by an only uh a single mother as an only child and and so that has things that come with it but simultaneously like i got the opportunity to go spend time with my dad's family once or twice a year and so that was kind of like depending on what we're doing, that was kind of the rock star life, right? Whether I was going to hockey games or meeting the team or, or, you know, spending time out at the lake on the boats and doing all that with all the toys. So I kind of, I had a little bit of a duplicitous upbringing and I don't know if I've reconciled that or not, but, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's important not to spend too much time thinking of that and forgetting to just live your life and be your, be your honest self. Yeah, just living in in the present kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if that made sense, but I just, it did make sense. I just spout out a bunch of shit. <laughs> it's totally good because I think some people forget that everybody kind of has that same foundation, and it's just kind of how you work with the input. And there's there's all kinds of factors that can factor into something, but you're like a very authentic person, and so a person hears that. You're, you're related to another's legend kind of thing. Like, oh, well, huh, he must be entitled. But then they get to know you and you're actually more humble than people who don't have those connections. Like, it's it's just such an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of goes to show that, like, parents and upbringing and all of that, that uh, dedication that they put into their children as they raise them really does pay off. Mm-hmm. Like, I think parents deserve a lot of credit for the consistency that they put into their child's upbringing. It's just really neat to see, like, the product of that environment. Um, Segwaying back into the film industry, before you got into it, you had other jobs, you did other things. Tell us the journey. What was it like? What were you doing? Dude, it's it's been it's been a ride. Like, I've, I feel like I've done a thousand things. Reality, it's probably only been two or three. Um, after university... Um, which I took psychology, I ended up going to, uh, moving to Edmonton for the first time in my life and we're for Hockey Canada for the World Junior Championships in 2012. So I was part of the organizing committee and that was a blast because I got to coordinate 400 volunteers and because we're great and proud and, and um, you know, awesome Edmontonians, everyone was pumped to volunteer for this event. It was one of the most, I think the, the financially most successful World Juniors ever. Uh, so that was a nine-month contract, and then uh, after that, I got into a little bit more sporting stuff uh, down in Calgary, working at a sport academy. So I managed uh, seven hockey teams down at the Edge School for Athletes. It was grades six to twelve. Um, I or, or I ran the facilities. So we had two ice rinks, two gyms, a turf field, uh, dance studios, a golf simulator. Um, so I did all the facility management there and then managed the teams too. So did their schedules, did their equipment, their, their track suits, their, their ice times, all that kind of stuff. So, and occasionally got to go out on the ice with the kids, which was fun, uh, if we were down a coach. Um, but I got, I got two years into that and I just sort of decided like, I've always, and I always wanted to work in hockey as a career, but I got to the point where I'm like, look, I'm spending so much time like behind the scenes. I'm not really getting to enjoy like hockey as a game. So do I really want to go down this route or do I want to maybe get into a career that's going to pay me well enough that I can then go and afford to go to all these cool events and these big hockey games and and tournaments. So uh, I got into the transportation world, bulk goods, uh, um, frac sand, cement, chemicals. um, And so I was an operations specialist. So that basically means I, I did route management, I did technology management. I was the one in charge of trying to get these, for the most part, older drivers fluent on newer technology. And that was a struggle every day because they just wanted to do things the old way. Why can't I use my, my paper logs where I write everything down? It's like, well, no, look, we've spent a lot of money and put these like high-end computers in the trucks now that are going to make your life so much easier. If you just learn how to like just get it started, just like push it down the hill, like put it over the crest so it starts moving on its own, like in terms of the technology, your life will be so much easier. But people are resistant to change, right? Like... They, they fear falling behind, they fear trying something they're not good at, especially if they've done the same thing for so long. So that old adage of like, 
you know, just get comfortable being uncomfortable always rings true. Like no matter what age you are, if you're, you know, 20 or if you're 60, I think it's good to like always try and grow. So again, I, I did that for two years and like the last job hit that point where it was like, this isn't the right fit. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Um, but it's not this. So I quit that and I've been bartending part-time for a long time. So I kept doing that and just started talking to people in different industries and um, going for coffees. And and it was amazing. Like every time I'd go for coffee with someone, I'd come out of these conversations like, like fucking like just buzzing, like so energetic and so excited about life and like all these new things that I just learned about someone else and what they're doing in life and how they got to where they are. Um, side note, like I think that was the real inception of, of my podcast and wanting to do that and having these types of conversations. Um, but then one day I was at the gym and my buddy Mike called me up and was like, hey, do you want to, I know you're looking for a new gig, do you want to get in the film industry? I said, yeah, okay, okay, who wouldn't want to get in the film industry? Sounds super cool, but I don't know anything about it. Um, and he said, look, like, you've got the personality, you've got the, you know, the people of the city, you know, the, the Oilers, and that's who this first video that I produced was for. Um, so yeah, I basically just like jumped into the deep end and, um, and gave it a shot and, and it worked well. And, and uh, yeah, one thing led to another and kind of here we are today making feature length films that's so badass um so if you look at you you like you made it onto the the cover of yeg fitness you look pretty jacked i'd say you look more jacked than i do and <laughs> i am trying to make a go of being in fitness as a full-time thing um what's your gym routine like when you step in the doors what do you do tell our audience about your active lifestyle routine your nutrition habits we kind of delved into that but just take us through a day of shame uh well I'm, I'm a morning guy first and foremost so i i enjoy going to the gym in the morning it's less busy and it uh it just energizes me for the whole day and i don't feel guilty about eating whatever i eat after i've already had a good workout right so uh, my routine's pretty basic for the most part like i split right and i've experimented with all sorts of different modalities and methodologies over the years but right now I've kind of found something that's been working for me for the last six months to a year so I split my days into three days I've got um, a push day which is basically uh, chest and core and triceps and then I've got a pull day which is back shoulders and uh, yeah back and shoulders pretty much and then leg day my favorite day so that's, you know, heavy squats, head, heavy deadlifts, and then a bunch of uh, more, I don't know what you call them, not isolation moves, more like, like uh, walking, walking weighted lunges or, or isolated like uh, hack squats and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, rarely in the winter, I don't do a lot of cardio per se. Um, I just lift the weights faster, maybe. <laughs> But uh, in the summer, I like to be outside, like so biking a lot, doing stair sprints. I'm not like an endurance athlete kind of guy. Like I just, my mind gets bored. I need to be changing things up. So like when I was training for the uh, MS bike, I have a bike and I was ripping around the city and I think I was like, all right, well, each day is 90 kilometers. So I should do at least like, like I said, I should do at least 60 kilometers one day to get like close to it and see what that feels like. So I got like 25 or 30K in and I was so bored that I was like, well, I don't want to stop biking. I don't want to keep biking, but I don't want to stop working out. So I biked to the stairs, ended up doing stair sprints for an hour and got back on the bike and did another 25 or 30K. So I was like, okay, well that, that felt good. And I think that was cool cross training and hopefully that helps my endurance. No kidding, you animal. Yeah. Tell the story about your MS bike tour. <laughs> the MS bike tour was... It was a great opportunity to take part in something um, bigger than myself, which I never really thought about doing before. Um, I'm trying to think. The guys from Jersey Lab and RVL Fitness were the ones who asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, sure. I like a challenge. Why not? Um, set my goal for, I think, 200 bucks or 500 bucks, And I think I ended up raising over 1000 or 2000 rather. Uh, so that was neat. But... Uh, it fell right in, a, in between days that were a little inconvenient because I, I had a meeting in Calgary that I had to go to on the Saturday. No, yes, Saturday. 
So the MS bike, the way it works for people who don't know, is you Saturday morning, bright and early, like 7 a.m., you bike from Leduc to Camrose, and then you stay in Camrose for the night. And then, you know, they have events and things there and gatherings. And then Sunday morning, you bike back uh, to Leduc. And so I had this meeting that came up that I had to deal with in Calgary on Saturday afternoon. So in order to make that happen, I had to do a bunch of things. The steps were, all right, and I don't drive. I don't have a car. So the steps were, okay, first and foremost, find someone who's got a car. So Nicole Walsh, a lovely friend that I work with at local, was like, yeah, you can borrow my car, sure. So step two, get that car to Camrose the night before, Friday night, and then get back to Edmonton. Thank God my buddy Connor stepped up and, uh, and he's like, I don't have much going on that night, so I can do that for you. Step three, leave earlier than everyone else by about an hour and a half to two hours out of Leduc. Uh, so that involved leaving Leduc at 5.45 a.m. To, to start the bike. Uh, step four, I'm going to lose place in my steps, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. Step four, get to Leduc. Uh, or get to Camrose. Uh, it's funny, I crossed the line before anyone else. And so everyone there was cheering and they're on the PA system and they're like, hey, we got the first rider in. And I was like, no, 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 I left early. Don't cheer for me. Don't waste the good surprise, or the good hello on me. <laughs> and uh, and so they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're the first. I'm like, it, no, not fair. I, I cheated. <laughs> um, and so I pulled into the, like, the bike garage and they... They had me put my bike like way at the front. They're like, you're the first one. So you get the first spot on the, on the railing to put your bike. And then this guy comes peeling in and he's got the full, full getup. He's got like the road bike. He's got the spandex. He's got the helmet that looks like it's melting behind his head. He's got the sunglasses doing the same thing. And he like just comes peeling in and stops and he sees me and he's kind of, his, 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 it looks like his heart just sank. He's like, what? when did you pass me? And so I wanted to mess with this guy. So I go, oh, you didn't see me cruise by on that straightaway? And then he looks and sees that I've just ridden a mountain bike this 90 kilometers. And his jaw drops. I'm like, what? what is going on? Like he has no idea, right? And so I let it hang in the air for a few seconds and then eventually said, look, man, I left like I left early. Don't worry. Like you, you, Your time is probably much quicker than mine. And he goes, how early did you leave? I said, I don't know, like 5.45. When did you leave? He's like, 7.34. I'm like, oh, well, you beat me then. Good for you. That's funny. So, yeah. Then I had to drive down to Calgary with that car from Nicole, have my meeting for two hours. It went spectacularly. Met some great people and uh, made some good connections. Then drove back to Camrose, the hour and 45 minutes, and slept like a baby that night because my legs were seizing up. And then Sunday morning, had to do the bike back to Duke, and the weather was considerably worse than Saturday. Saturday was sunny and like 15, 16 degrees, not too hot. Saturday or Sunday was like raining and the wind was blowing. And honestly, it was, it was twice as hard. And not cause like I was tired. It was just like the physical or the, the environmental effect of like rain and wind and just like, yeah, it was just, it was shit. It was honestly very hard, but um, pushed through and, and had a good time. And then had my cousin pick me up drive me back to Camrose to get that fucking car. And uh, she was asking me how the bike went. And I was like so tired. I just like faded out. Like I fell asleep talking to her, like literally like mid-sentence, like just fell asleep. And so she dropped me off the car. I got a huge ass coffee and drove back, dropped the car off. And that was my weekend. That was the MS bike. <laughs> so how long did it take you to recover from that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so Monday, Sunday night, slept really well. Monday was like having trouble going upstairs. Tuesday felt good again. And I, I think I did wet legs again on Wednesday. So nicely done. Just yeah. killed it. Yeah. Good experience overall. Like it's such a good cause. Oh, it's amazing. I'll hundred percent do it next year. Um, good. I already pre-registered. I'm just uh, going to reach out to see if I can borrow someone's road bike next time. Yeah. A little easier than a mountain bike. Well, like I, I had thought about going and then just the way things worked out, I had to work that weekend. It was just timing and everything. And I, I was like, well, if I did it, would I use a mountain bike? Would I rent like a road bike? What would I do? Lots of people are on mountain bikes, but depends how hard you want to push yourself, right? Like some people just do it at a casual pace, but like for me, there's not really such a thing as a casual pace. I, um, if I'm next to someone, if someone's ahead of me, I'm always just trying to push a little bit faster and a little bit harder. 
So yeah, I'll definitely be more competitive next year though with a real bike. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you bump into Mountain Mike there? No, we actually didn't run into each other at all because I left early and then I was gone. I left Camrose by the time he got there and then he left earlier than us on the Sunday, got there super quick and he was gone. So we were on the same team, but I didn't even see the guy. That's awesome. Yeah. I imagine the two of you, if you were next to each other, you would at least egg each other on. Like you're both like... He's a pretty fit guy, but you're you're also a pretty fit guy. I don't know who would win. Like I, if I had to bet, I might put my money on him. But I dude, might he would crush me. Mike, Michael Dietrich would absolutely an wipe the floor with me because he trains his ass off on that road bike. Like he he goes between Jasper and Banff. Like he's out there all the time. Like my my life just it, it's not as big a priority for me. So. But have you ever seen the movie Rudy? No. It's like a football movie with the underdog. Yeah. Guy from uh, Lord of the Rings. I okay. Mean, you're you're my Rudy. <laughs> so I've got a root for you. I don't know, like if I if I had if I trained for long enough leading up to it and um, and really put my mind to it, I maybe would be able to make See a go out of it. Like yeah, like <laughs> like maybe because I am like I have a ridiculous competitiveness, but also like as long as I think I can win. Like if I, if I know I've got no chance, then it's just kind of like, all right, I understand where we are. But if I think I've got a chance, then it kicks in and then it's overdrive. Just visualizing that meme right now. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. But just uh, full disclosure, Michael Dietrich is an animal, very, very fit, just in case anybody uh, mishears it and thinks that I'm out of my mind. Next question, what is the toughest thing you've ever encountered, either in life or in your career? If it ever happened again, what lessons did you learn in that experience? And how would those lessons help you kick ass and take names the second time through? I think on a macro level, um, the toughest thing that personally I've ever had to overcome is like, and we talked to, touched on this earlier, is, is the internal is the internal um, analysis of yourself, of looking in and saying like, okay, you know, what are my weaknesses? Like, what am I not good at? What have I been avoiding doing that I most need to do? Um, and, you know, a part of that too is like, why am I the way that I am? And like, what deficiencies can I, can I um, identify? And, and how, do I, how do I make those better? I mean, like the, the most challenging thing for me, and I think it is probably true for a lot of people, but is, is, trying to eliminate the words it's not my fault from my vocabulary um you know and and give praise take blame like really truly be someone that is 100 percent accountable and and take ownership of everything um in terms of a specific example i would say just you know bouncing around kind of career to career has been challenging because you know it's especially later in your 20s it's like oh like you just changed jobs again like oh what's you know what is it that you're looking for and when you don't have that answer it's really hard to justify leaving a really good job um, to search for something that you're really not sure what that is like when I left the transportation job like I had an unreal career trajectory like could have been making you know six figures in five to ten years and and so then you get the judgment from people of like well you know, maybe you just needed to try a little harder at it, or maybe you just need to stick it out a little bit longer. But it's like, look, if you're not happy, it's not about the goal, it's about the day to day. So if the day to day is, is making you unhappy and, and affecting you in all other realms of your life negatively, then then it's just not worth it. Like unless the end goal is is so much so much over and above what, what the struggles of the journey is. I don't know. But I mean for me it's 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 been a challenge to find something that I enjoy day to day and, and that affords me the lifestyle and the flexibility to do the things that I want to do. But now that I found it, like there's no going back. Like I could never work in an office now. Like, are you kidding me? But then there's people that look at what I do or what you do and say, like, then they work in an office. So like, how do you keep yourself disciplined? How do you keep yourself motivated? Like I have to be, the only way I can work is because I'm in the office. And it's like, well, you might think that, Maybe ignorance is bliss in that in that circumstance, but like when I left the transportation job and I spent the next few months like 
working out when I wanted and eating when I wanted and meeting people when I wanted and working when I wanted. Like, I was like, wow, I'm really happy right now. I also stopped drinking for nine months. So that was a big, that, that was a big factor too. Um, and just, but like life seemed more vibrant and exciting and I felt more in control and not beholden to anyone. So that was probably the biggest thing for me. Do you ever come across like a certain personality or something that triggers you to second guess your, your newfound bliss kind of thing? Like somebody that, uh, buys lots of toys and flashes their money around and it kind of makes you think of your your past life especially working in the transportation industry or not so much oh and like see like get a streak of jealousy that they've got something that i don't no like zero percent like i i i see the things that i or i recognize the things that i'm able to now do in my life and the opportunities i've had in the last two years and how crazy that's been and you know, I'm trying not to get my head too big about it, but like, I'm really proud of what I've done in the last few years. Um, and yeah, it would be cool to have a Porsche, but like now I think, oh fuck, my gas is so expensive and, and I would get speeding tickets every day. And also Edmonton's just a shit town to have a sports car in cause you can't drive it for many year, uh, months out of the year. And even when you can, the roads are pretty terrible. So I'm like, no, I don't really want that. And like, I don't know that there's many like physical goods that I want for at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, no, like I, I see if someone has it because it's a, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable kind of just extra sure. But when they put stock in it and when they say like, this defines me as a person, that's when I feel bad for them. And I'm like, dude, like you, you can be so much more than the physical things that you own in life. And like, I think it's important to be because those things won't last. But like your your acceptance and your and your personality and, and, and how you treat people, that's those are the kind of things that will last. Exactly. And I'd say I agree. Like there's a lot of instances where with my newfound lifestyle it's so much different from working for like a company that has you start at like eight AM, you're done at five PM kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a busy guy, but I'm busy because I get people that want to train with me. And the way I build that up is uh, we we train when they can train and then I make good use of the time when we're not training and I do things like podcasts. I've put on two events in town and it's something that makes me busy and pays my bills but it's not the same as somebody that's working say like for a company that I used to work for or like something similar. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to be like, well, I, I put in my day and now I'm going to buy this and this is to make up for the lack of experience that I had in my day. So it's it's more about like what you've done rather than like what you could afford to have done kind mm-hmm. of thing, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, I try and first, firstly, I notice all the things that you do and I admire you for like you're there's not a lot of people out there and more people should be like you in the sense of like just do things like doesn't matter if they're like a smashing success or if they're kind of successful or if they're neutral like but the fact that you're doing things trying learning failing succeeding like these are the important things because a they teach you all sorts of lessons especially when you fail um but b they keep up your momentum and they they just they they continue to give you confidence of like yeah i've done things and i can continue doing things because i and i know for me like the momentum thing is huge. Like if I have a slow week, it's like, I got to like get going here and I don't know how to, you know, it's like maybe I need to go for coffee with someone and get that spark of spark of, uh, you know, resonance and energy going again. But yeah, that's what I like about the podcast game. Like it's basically you're building in sort of like coffee time, except it feels productive Mm -hmm. because you're creating content. But honestly, like I know, Dean and Andrew do their podcasts and it's their sneaky way of like getting cool info from industry professionals who you would otherwise have to pay to have the time of. Mm -hmm. And as I seek out guests, I think of guests that uh, have different experiences that could help out people that I know. Mm -hmm. But from a very like selfish perspective, I know that every guest that I speak to has something that's going to be able to help me too mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's just, it's a very valuable experience that I wouldn't have had had I just stayed with the, the eight to five grind kind of thing. Yeah. You've, no matter what you do, you've always got to have like, like subsidiary goals that can be accomplished through it. So even if like 
so with a podcast, so say your goal is to make money or sponsorship or, or have huge numbers, you know, or gain a following. Okay, that's fine if that's your primary goal, but like set a secondary goal too. Like my secondary goal might be I just want to spend time with cool, interesting people or like you said, learn things from my guests myself um, so that even if you don't hit your primary target, there's still other benefits that can be gleaned from the pursuit. Um, and then just going back, cause I think it's really important. And this is something I'm sure I heard somewhere and I'm sure that I didn't make it up myself, but, um, it's just aspire to be more, not have more. And it's, you know, like, like I'm mentor this younger kid and, and mentor is probably too strong a word, but you know, we hang out and we talk and kind of give him my 30 year old perspective. And he takes that as an 18 year old kid. Um, but you know, he didn't come from a wealthy upbringing and, He's like, man, I just want, you know, I want to be able to like, you know, have some nice clothes and buy a nice car and, and, you know, do this shit and have money. And I'm like, why? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, why do you want nice things? He's like, he didn't really have an answer. I'm like, why do you need money? And he was like, well, so I just don't have to worry about money. I'm like, yeah, but you don't need a ton of money not to worry about it. Like you just need enough to survive and allow you to do the things you like doing. And if you happen to like, find out what that is that you enjoy doing and make money from it, then you're doubling up your efficiency because you don't have to worry about spending money on doing the things you love. So I'm like, what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to own a boxing gym. I'm like, all right, well, who do you know that owns a boxing gym? And he said, his, his trainer. And I go, well, does your trainer have a lot of money? And he said, well, no. I go, well, there you go. If, if you're aspiring to be him, then like, why are you trying to get all this money along the way? Like, well, what is that good? What is that good for? And he's like, oh, I just want to take care of my mom. And I'm like, I get that. And I, we all want to take care of our mom, especially if, she, if it's a single mom, right? But it comes to a point where like you have, to, you have to be able to take care of yourself first before you can and know that you're good and sustainable and, and getting all the things you need uh, emotionally and, and personally before you can start branching out and, and taking care of other people. I mean, you see a lot of people just never get anywhere in life because they're just, they're getting drained by trying to do a million things and, and never focusing on what it is that they need first. Mm -hmm. So it sounds selfish, but if you can't, if, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to take care of other people. It's very true. Like, uh, I strongly believe, especially like in an industry where part of your role is to take care of other people, you need to take care of your own shit first. Like... I mandated for myself this week that I was going to do three things. I was going to train some new clients. I trained one and got a new client consult, so I was pretty close there. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to go for ice cream at Ikea. Did it. Done. <laughs> I've heard of going for meatballs at Ikea, but never ice cream. Man, just anything at Ikea. You walk in there with a fiver and you're good to go. Yeah. Like, you look like a baller because you, like, walked away with four hot dogs and a pop. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who just focuses on, like, hot dogs and, like, the shitty food there. But, I mean, it's just kind of about the sentiment that you treated yourself. Yeah. Like, you went all out. And even if it's cheap, kind of subpar Ikea food, like... It's not the greatest, but it's not the worst. What's your, is that your ultimate treat? Like, like food wise to go to Ikea? Yeah. No, no. Okay. So what would, <laughs> what's your like, and like, it might be sweets. It might be savory. Like what's your like ultimate, like, fuck it. I'm doing it. <laughs> if, if I am like, wow, I really deserve something nice. I really like to go to uh, brew pubs kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. if, if there's a pub that has the, the microbrewery inside and they have good food, mm -hmm. or even if it's a place that just has like a big selection of beer and good food, because I consider myself a bit of a beer connoisseur. Okay. And so I, I don't go to it for like the alcohol. It's more for like the appreciation of the process, process that goes into it. Yeah. And so that's something that's special to me. Like if I'm ever going like on a holiday or something and that region has a brewery i'll try and line it up so i can check out the brewery right i tried doing my own uh beer brew once and i think i couldn't decide if i was just too picky about the taste or if i let it sit too long after the brew was good or what i did but like i had tried a glass of what i created and i was like this tastes fairly reasonable but then it just sat for a while and then it, i think it went bad but like I have dabbled in the art of making beer and it is quite the experience. Like you have to be, it's, 
it's kind of like an analogy of life. Yeah. Like you, you have to put a lot of care into it. The timing doesn't always line up. Like all these different things, you you have to. Uh, it's an art. It's really easy to mess it up. You can learn from it and try again, kind of thing. But uh, I also know some people that are really good at it. Most of the people that I know of that are good at it now actually have like a small scale or larger scale like microbrewery. Mm-hmm. But it's neat. Yeah, I admire that you trying that because like that's something I wouldn't have the time or the patience for. I'm just like no, like I you know I beers beers I like beer, but it's funny actually like after stopping drinking for a while. I've now discovered I'm like incredibly picky about beer and I don't really know what beer I enjoy anymore. Like I couldn't pick a favorite beer cause I'll have, a, I'll think I've got a good pick and then I'll be kind of be disappointed by it. There's a lot of people out there that really hate IPAs. They hate the hoppy beers. What's yeah. your stance on that? I can't stand them. And I, I wish I liked them because there's so many cool sounding flavors and there's so many interesting mixtures now. That's how they get you. Yeah. They, they but name I just, IPAs with like the weirdest name and you I would like to try that. Yeah. And then they have half and then Chris, you like IPAs. I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you get the, the cleanup job. What's your favorite uh, brewery in Western Canada? Do you have one that stands out? Uh, probably Alley Cat, just because I'm the most familiar with them, and, and I do really like some of their stuff. Um, they had a, uh, a pumpkin pie uh, Yeah, I had ale, that. Which is pretty good, actually. That's the last one I drank where I'm like, hey, this is pretty solid. Um, Blanche de Chambly is pretty good. These are Eastern breweries, though, Unibrew. I like most of their stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, just... Not much of a beer guy these days. That's fair. That's fair. So, segueing, that was actually really convenient. We both have experience working in the bar while other <laughs> people play. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen when bartending? Who is your favorite person you've ever made a drink for? Those are my two questions for you from your experience in the bar. I'm trying to think the craziest thing I've ever seen bartending. Like, nothing... Nothing particularly stands out. There's been lots of fights. There's been, you know, girls dancing on bars, guys dancing on bars, Coyote Ugly style. Um, You know, back in the day when I started, we used to drink while working behind the bar. So, you know, we were probably the spectacle behind there. (laughs) But um, because I've never really worked in clubs. It's only been like, like bar restaurants so like local and yeah so nothing really stands out um who do i like bartending for the most was that the question who who has stood out like who stood out like if if you had one that was like wow seeing that person really made my shift kind of thing um i serve some pretty cool people but mostly when they're out at the bar they get attacked by people on the other side of the bar if they're famous so like Gordy Howe came into Kaylee's one time, like six years ago, seven years ago, and he was a, he was awesome. Like he was just super humble and and you know very just down to earth and chill. Um, Cole Swindell, I have a funny story about him. He was touring with Luke Bryan. He was the opening act. Yeah, I listened to that episode of your podcast <laughs> just before coming here. Yeah, so Luke Bryan was the big deal. And, uh, and so he came, snuck up on the other side of the bar and asked for a wheat beer. And I couldn't understand him. I'm like, oh, what? He's like, a wheat beer. I'm like, oh, wheat beer. Oh, yeah, we got a shock top. I'll pour that for you. And then the server grabbed him and, and was like, I'll deal with him. Don't worry. You, you don't have to order from the bar. So I was like, oh, that sucks. It would have been cool to serve Luke Bryan. And I go on the other side and there's three guys sitting there. And they're like, oh, we're with the, we're with the tour. And, and one of them turns out to be Cole Swindell, who I actually liked more than Luke Bryan. And I didn't even know he was on the tour. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then <laughs> I have a fun one, actually. Do you know who Key and Peel are? Yeah. Yeah. So Key and Peel, the comedians, came in and sat at my bar one night. <laughs> and none of the girls working knew who they were. And I was like, I'm pretty sure those are those comedians. And they're like, what comedians? I'm like, Key and Peel. And so I like went to the back and I showed them the substitute teacher skit. And they're like, oh, yeah, those guys, <laughs> you know, with A-Ron, a- <laughs> Jay Quellen. So anyway, I'm like, you're Key and Peele. And they're like, yep. I'm like, that's cool, man. Like, you guys are hilarious. And I'm like, thanks so much. And like, they were fun. They were joking around. And, and then they started drinking uh, 
they started drinking Black Bush, which is a type of whiskey. And so they, of course, had fun with that name. They're like, get us some Black Bush, Shane. <laughs> and uh, I, the girls I used to work with like, were just ruthless. So a couple of them got on either side and were chatting them up. And then they basically like said, like, hey, like, can we come back to your hotel room? And the guys like froze and they're like, uh, we're both happily married and like pointed to the rings because these guys thought they were just having fun and being, you know, friendly with these people. And the, meanwhile, the girls are trying to fuck these stars. <laughs> so that was fun to watch as a bartender because they're like, Shane, like, what's the deal with these girls? Or are they working girls? Yeah, no kidding. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're working something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's quite the story. Yeah. Um... So I need to clarify this first. You are a bachelor, right? In what sense of the word? Would you say that you're a single guy or... I am a single guy. Okay. So what's what's life like? Like, what what's the toughest thing about being a bachelor? What's, what's the best thing about being a bachelor? I think they're both one and the same thing and that you're only accountable to yourself. Um, there's good and bad things that come with that. Um, I think the bad things that come with that and it was uh, I noticed this about my last relationship is that like it's really good to be accountable to someone because you you know it keeps you kind of honest and it keeps you hardworking and keeps you down to earth and keeps you from getting like a big head um, and so that was a really great thing about my last relationship um, but at the same time like when I'm so focused on my career right now not being accountable to anyone else other than myself is a huge relief because I can just do what I need to do to succeed and I don't need to worry about incorporating someone else in that. So it's it's good career-wise, but like, yeah, it does get lonely and it's, you know, sometimes, especially living with, with a couple, yeah, that's tough sometimes where you're like, oh my, fuck off with your relationship. Yeah. But really that's coming from a place of like, I also want that, right? And, um, you know, just haven't found the, the person that, that uh, kind of fits into the lifestyle that I'm living right now, and that you know makes makes me uh, feel the way I you know would hope someone would make me feel. I think like too, I'm also not out there like looking for someone because I think that's really important. Like I read recently, and I, I'm I'm contemplating it. I don't know if I fully agree with it, but it seems like the most valuable things in life come to us when we're not looking for them. They come to us as a result of us pursuing the things that we want to pursue the meaningful and, and productive and powerful things in life that really like ignite our our passion in life so when someone else sees you chasing that dream they just gravitate towards you because of the energy of you doing what you want to do therefore if you spend all your time trying to find a, a girlfriend or a wife it's kind of like this person just comes off as desperate and that's all they want. It's like you have to want and, and strive for more in life. And then someone will just kind of like, kind of just get drawn in magnetically to that way of life. So that's how I look at it. I and completely I agree. Just haven't found that person yet. Or she hasn't found me. No, no. Like they're out there. They're just trying to figure <laughs> out where local is. Are you doing lots of shifts at local still or oh, taking it easy? I've been off for, I've been off for a month and a bit. I noticed, but seen yet central a lot. But leading up, to, <laughs> but leading up to that, I, I I put my manager through hell, Harley, you sweetheart, you. I put her through hell with all these shift changes and canceling of shifts, just because um, I was so crazy busy with the the shooting of our films, and uh, so I had to tell her. We got to a point. It was funny because I brought her flowers one day, <laughs> and I said, um, "Look, I'm, this is to apologize. You've just been so good to me, and." So I gave her the flower and she's like, oh, like, you know, it's all right. Like, I, you know, I just want you to succeed and be happy. I want to like make life easy for you. And I was like, and by the way, I also can't work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I handed the, her these flowers, like we're behind the bar and there's some like, like softer music playing, like almost sad music. I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, look, maybe, maybe we should just take some time and maybe you should just not schedule me for, for until November perhaps. And I get back from Australia and she goes it feels like we're breaking up right now I go I know I don't like it but I'm sorry we just need some space so anyway she she was so great um and I when I get back from my trip then uh then I'll get back behind the bar for a few shifts a week that's awesome yeah I'll have to go into your watering hole at some point yeah definitely I find myself like it's always just work 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 I never I never actually partake in anything 
in the bar. Like I, yeah. Full disclosure, I think I've been to Central like once, and it was for a Yeg Fitness function. Yeah, I remember that one. And other than that, didn't you spill a beer on me? I did not. Spill no, beer. Rob spilled the beer on yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was funny. I am not one to spill beer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You like it too much. Yeah, I like it yeah. too much. Well, we've got twenty taps. We've got. 13 Always Pouring, and 7 Rotationals featuring Western Canadian brewers of the highest quality. They better sponsor this thing. (laughs) I think they've done enough for me. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah, they have. Um, What is the most monumental thing that has ever happened to you while on a trip, either personal or for business? Well, on a trip. I think every time you take a trip, you... um, it just gives you perspective. It shows you how big the world is and like to see a completely different country that literally none of the shit you're doing in life matters to anyone there. It's it's humbling. It makes you it gives you perspective on like, man, my problems aren't really that big. And like it's up to me. Simultaneously it gives you accountability cuz you're like no one's going to help me solve my problems cuz nobody cares. So I better just get my life in order and I better I better um you know, I, I better do it myself. I think work trip wise, the most monumental thing is having an opportunity, like getting to travel for work and getting to have that chance to do a good job because sometimes it feels stressful and sometimes you, you know, you, you get so wrapped up in like not screwing up that you forget to think, oh, what if I succeed though? And mm-hmm. like, how cool would that be? And like, what kind of an impression am I making on people? And then to have people recognize that you've done a good job after is pretty neat because you've been stressing about it and you want it to go so perfectly and and you want everything to go just according to plan. Um, so I think for me, like impact wise is impact impact wise is is just simply having that opportunity. Just spinning it from I have to do this to I get to do this exactly. Kind of like. There, there's so much more to life than feeling burdened when you could just feel sort of, I don't want to use the word, but blessed. Mm-hmm. Blessed. Like we get, Hashtag blessed. We get so many opportunities that we take for granted that we need to capitalize on it. We're going to take this to the final finisher. If you could give our listeners one piece of advice on how to live their most authentic and fulfilling life, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I have two things. The first is something I said earlier, and I just think it's it's so powerful, and that it's kind of part A and part B is eliminate it's not my fault from your dictionary. Nobody likes someone who makes excuses and says why this didn't work out or that didn't work out, and and people like someone that's just going to and it's going to get you farther in life if you just be accountable and own up to shit. And it's like, yeah, I screwed that up, or even if it's not directly your fault, maybe I could have done a better job. Um, so I think that is super powerful. Um, now I have three things. I'm gonna I'm gonna take three. Uh, the second one is trying to always keep in mind that <clears throat> everyone has their own shit going on in their life, and to not take things personally. Like I just experienced this with the film. Like people I thought would come who didn't, people who I didn't think would come who did, and just trying to eliminate that like like taking it personally because people have shit going on in their lives. It's like my thing is not as important to someone else as it is to me. So why should I have that expectation of like them dropping the important things in their life to come? So for me that, you know, knowing, and also like that just applies to like everyday shit. Like, Oh, that guy wasn't very friendly or that guy kind of like cut me off or, you know, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're someone just died in their family or, or, you know, they just got fired or they're, you know, a recovering addict or it could be anything. So, like, it's hard for us to keep that in mind because there's so many op- possibilities that you just think, like, why aren't they being better? Um, and the third thing is I think people should just try and strive to tell the truth all the time. That's something that I took from Jordan Peterson's book. And I've really been making an effort to even eliminate the little white lies because I think even the small ones can build walls between you and other people. Uh, and they warp reality and they shift it towards chaos. And I think like it's so much easier to tell the truth. I mean, it's harder to tell the truth, but it gives your life an easier go of it because then you're no longer worrying about what I said and didn't say. You just remember your your truth is your story and you don't have to like hold all these lies and, and connections in your head. Um, and especially don't, you know, don't lie at all, but like, I've seen people lie to other people in front of me that they know that I know the truth 
and it makes me respect them less. And it's like, I don't want to, but it's like, and it makes you question them too. Like, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? I just saw you straight up bold face lie to someone else. So I don't know. Tell the truth, take accountability and be empathetic. I agree. Three Those things. are good. Those are rock solid. All right. Well, thanks for being the guest for episode eight. It's been an honor. Hey man. Th- no, it's been all my honor. Thank you for having me. Perfect.